If you have a Bible, you can turn in your Bible to the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 26. If you don't have a Bible, we've got the text up here on the screens for you. We're moving now toward the end of the book of Acts. We've been talking about episodes in the book of Acts as we've seen the spread of Christianity. Acts, the book of Acts is a historical book. It's a book that talks about the spread of Christianity throughout the world. It's very compelling. And so as we've been talking about being on mission, we're seeing how those early followers of Christ were also on mission. So as I thought about it this week, I wanted to share with you a picture because my son said to me, he said, hey, you know what, Dad? This week we've been married two months. That is, him and his new bride, Ashley, have been married for two months. And this is a picture. Yeah, you can say, ah, it's okay, ah. It's, it's all worthy, <laughs> believe me. So this is my family. I'm so proud of them. So this is Ryan and Ashley. It's me and Tammy. It's my daughter Kaylee. This is my son Brandon. What made me most proud was the fact that Brandon and Kaylee stood up at the reception and they told fond stories of their brother. And as is often the case in weddings, that's what happened here um, Kaylee and Brandon stood up and they told personal stories. And what I thought about this week as I was thinking about what we're looking here in Acts chapter 26 is the fact that they, they shared something that was personal to them. It wasn't read in a book. It wasn't handed down, another story that was kind of handed down to them. And it was an actual event that occurred, one or two events that occurred. Some of them were funny, that occurred in their real life that made an impact. What they did is they, they shared the reason for their love of their brother. They shared the reason for their story. And what we're going to look at today, as personal as this is, as proud as that moment was, there's another very intimate and personal story that's contained in Acts chapter 26 that just screams to us about the, the, the power of Christ's difference made in the life of the individual named the Apostle Paul. So, in Acts chapter 26, Paul is going to share a story. And he's going to share a story with some people who are not friendly to him. This is not a favorable occasion like a wedding. Paul is literally on trial for his life. And so let's look at some background of Acts chapter 26. First of all, the book of Acts, you know, as we've talked about before, the book of Acts is structured in a way that helps us understand the spread of Christianity throughout the world. As Jesus would say in Acts chapter 1, he said, you're going to be my witnesses. This is before his ascension. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And that's exactly how the book of Acts is structured. It talks about the spread of Christianity first in Jerusalem to the region around Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then through the Apostle Paul to the uttermost ends of the world. The first half of the book of Acts is really the story of the Apostle Peter, his missionary work there in Jerusalem and in Judea, that area, and then the Apostle Paul who goes now from Jerusalem and takes the gospel with him literally to other parts of the world. And it's so exciting and so compelling. But here's Paul's situation in Acts chapter 26. He was arrested by the Jews in Jerusalem for teaching in the synagogue about Christ. So he was teaching Christ, and he was teaching about his crucifixion and his resurrection. It agitated the Jews. They arrested him, and literally they wanted him killed. And eventually, through a series of trials, he ends up in a place called Caesarea. And in Caesarea, he is taken before a guy named Agrippa, King Agrippa, who was the king of Judea in that area, more literally would be called the king of the Jews, 
That's why it was such a a radical thing for Jesus to call himself the king of the Jews, because this was the Roman king of the Jews. And Paul is standing before Agrippa, his wife Bernice, and and the whole council there, and all these people, and he is sharing his personal story of transformation in Jesus Christ. Now, folks, when I went to Israel, it was four years ago. I went to Israel four years ago. I got to stand in the amphitheater and on the very spot where the Apostle Paul stood before those people. (laughs) I'm telling you, I had chills. He's standing there, and he is sharing his story. Here's what I want to say to you, though. He's not preaching a sermon. He's not arguing theological truths. He is sharing his knowledge of the one who changed his life. He is sharing the reason for his story of faith in Jesus Christ. So as Paul was standing there, he's basically saying these things. We like to take a passage of Scripture and kind of unpack it verse by verse. Here's what the Apostle Paul was saying. King Agrippa, first of all, I want you to know, in my story, I have a past. I'm a man who has a past. There's some things in my past that I'm not proud of. And he begins to tell that story in verses 4 and 5. He says, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. The Apostle Paul was not a have-not kind of guy. He spoke five different languages. He was probably very wealthy. He had worked his way up into the Jewish religious system. He'd become a prominent leader. He was a Pharisee. He was pious. He was legalistic. And he's saying, everybody knows about my past here. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. I mean, he lived it. He was legalistic. And he meant it. So much so that it would drive him to persecute Christians who were following Jesus. So he's talking about his religion, but then he also talks about the fact how resistant he was to Christ and his claims. He goes on in verses 9 and 10, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem, he says. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And you may remember the story in the book of Acts where The follower of Jesus named Stephen was stoned to death by the Jews. And Paul was standing right there, giving assent, giving agreement, casting his vote for the stoning of Stephen. Now, the Apostle Paul, in other parts of the New Testament, would talk about his deep regret that he had been involved in persecuting Christians. I mean, there was a sense of shame and guilt. What he was saying there before the king is that, I have a past, and I'm not real proud of it. And I think there's some of us that can really identify with that. There are things in our past, you know, whether it was a religious past or whether it was a rebellious past of some kind, there are things in our past. Here's what Paul was saying. My past is really characterized by two things. This is how we can identify with him. My past is characterized by, first of all, it was without Christ. I have a past without Jesus involved in it. And secondly, my past is characterized by sin. I've sinned. Paul came to understand what was true for him is true for all mankind, is that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. That's why he would write in Romans chapter 3, later on, years later, he would say, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. He recognized that. He was a man with a past. He begins to tell that part of his story. Secondly, here's the second part. That's not the end of the story, thankfully, right? Isn't it good news that our past is not the end of the story? (laughs) Here's the second part. Christ has changed me. 
He said, I want you to know, King Agrippa, that Christ has changed me. Look at what he says. At midday, O king, he's, he's talking about the experience where he was traveling as a Jew, as a Jewish leader, on the road to Damascus. He was on his horse. And he's on the road to a city called Damascus. Here's what he says happened. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Paul is beginning to tell the story of Christ's redemption in his life. That he's been redeemed. He's been redeemed. And a part of that redemption was this big wake-up call the Apostle Paul had. This wake-up call. You probably are familiar with wake-up calls. God gives wake-up calls to people. Now, hopefully they're not as dramatic as the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was knocked off his stallion. He was blinded for three days, and he had a voice from heaven. You know, some people have to be slapped upside the head. Some of us need better wake-up calls and stronger wake-up calls than other people. But God is getting our attention to reveal his love to us. And sometimes that comes through pain and hardship, trials that are in our lives. We experience the raw pain and the grief maybe even the shame of some of those experiences. And I want to say to you today that God is trying to use that as a way of bringing you to him. That's not the end of the story. God wants to use those experiences in your life to reveal himself to you. Others have wake-up calls that are not quite you know, as overt. A wake-up call can come in the form of a strategically placed Christian. That's what happened with me. I grew up in a home where we didn't attend church. I was not a believer, an alcoholic, kind of chaotic family. And um, at the age of 17, somebody invited me to church. And there was somebody there who, what, built a bridge to me, told me their story, and shared the gospel with me. And it was through that that I came to understand the love of God in my life after never hurting, hearing it before. And so it was a strategically placed Christian that made the difference in my life. Maybe you've got one of those in yours. Or, or maybe the wake-up call is just massive doses of kindness. I remember years ago talking to a man who had come to faith in Christ. And he said, you know, Mike, what, what eventually brought me to that place was I looked at my life and I thought to myself, I'm so blessed. <laughs> he said, God has been so kind to me. And he said, I began to ask myself, what is the source of these blessings? They're outside of me. I, I, I mean, these are not deserving of me. And he began to think about faith and about God's love to him. And that's how he actually came to faith in Christ. Another kind of wake-up call. This is what happened with the Apostle Paul. He was redeemed. He came to recognize that Jesus was indeed the Savior, that Jesus was the Messiah, and in him he found forgiveness and freedom. Christ has redeemed him. But that's not the end of the story either. The next part is this. Paul would say to those in that room, to those in that amphitheater, he would say this, my life now has purpose. My life has purpose. Listen, I have a past. I've been redeemed, but now my future has been redirected. My life now has a purpose. Listen to what he says. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus 
then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, remember again, to the ends of the earth, that they should repent and turn to God, before performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. In other words, living a life that is consistent with their faith. Paul was chosen to do this. It was a part of his conversion experience. He was chosen to be an ambassador to the work of Christ to people in his world. Now, he was a tent maker. The Bible tells us that Paul made a living on the side. As he was ministering, he was teaching in the synagogues, as he was preaching and traveling, he was a tent maker. And here's what that says to me and you. So we read about the life of a person like the Apostle Paul, and we think, man, that's great. He's a hero. Yay, go, Paul. Here, here's the whole point, though. When Jesus stood on that hillside in Matthew chapter 28, and he said, after his resurrection, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. He was not talking just to the church corporately. He was talking to you, and he was talking to me as individual believers. It is our calling to be about making him known and knowing him is our calling to make authentic disciples of Christ. And I want to say, if you're a follower of Christ, it is your calling. Every believer has the calling to be about that purpose in their life. And when you get that, when that is a theme that underlines your whole life, your whole existence, everything comes into focus. There's nothing like having purpose. There's nothing like feeling that you were placed on this earth for some reason. And yes, you have a vocation, you have a family, but again, all those themes coming under the one underlying theme that, hey, I am put on earth to know Christ and to make him known. And that should drive our existence as believers. It's why we're here. And there's nothing like it in the world. And Paul's purpose drove him with passion to pursue this purpose. Folks, I want to remind you, it's important to have purpose in life, of course, but it's more important to have the right purpose because not all purposes are of equal value. Not all purposes are worthwhile. What might be more tragic than failing is to succeed at the wrong thing. So every one of us has the potential to live for the right thing. Every one of us has the potential to find this as our purpose as followers of Christ and to give ourselves to that which has eternal value and will make eternal differences in this world. There's nothing like it in the world. I look at Paul and I see where he came from in his life. I think about what a change. (laughs) I, I can kind of relate to that, you know. I mean, I was outside of faith. I was... Lost as a ball in high weeds. I mean, I was just spiritually an outsider. And then I came to faith in Christ, and my life was totally redirected. This guy's kind of my hero. I mean, he's the guy, I want to shake his hand and talk to him when I get to heaven. He's just an amazing, amazing individual because he's experienced the realness of the power of life transformation through Jesus. J. Oswald Sanders has a quote about the Apostle Paul. Wrap your mind around this. This is so good. Here's what he says. He says, It was a method worthy of God to select the most aggressive and influential enemy of the church and its bitterest persecutor and to transform him into the greatest apostle, the profoundest theologian, the most persuasive apologist, and the most tireless missionary of the church he once aimed to destroy. And I say, yes, it is. It's a method only worthy of God. Only God could do something like that. And that's Paul's story. It's inspiring. It's compelling. And I imagine him standing there in front of that group just pouring his heart out. 
and how God had changed his life. I want to say to you, that's not the end of the story. It would seem like it would be, right? I have a past, I've been redeemed, now I have a purpose in my life. It seemed like that's kind of the icing on the cake, and that's not the end. Here's what we've been trying to say this entire month. Here's what we've been trying to say to those who are followers of Christ. Is that we are to share with others what we've received. That's how this has ultimately culminated. Paul would say to them in that room, and I want everyone to know. I want everyone to know what I know. I want everyone to experience what I've experienced. I want everyone to experience the power of Christ and the transformation that he's given to me in my life. Look at what he says here in verses 26 through 29. For the king knows, he's talking to King Agrippa. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. Now when Paul says that, he's actually talking to someone who is very informed about the Jewish faith. King Agrippa was well-informed, very knowledgeable of the Jewish faith. His wife, Bernice, was a Jew. So he knew about the prophecies, and Paul is playing upon this. For the king knows about these things, and I, and I speak to him boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Paul is saying, my life has been a public life. I've, I've not been privately teaching in Christ. My life has been public. The resurrection, the crucifixion of Christ is well known by everybody. This thing has happened in a very public way, not privately, not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? <laughs> Look at what Paul is doing. Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Listen to how the king responds. Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me also to be a Christian, Paul? <laughs> the king knows what Paul is doing. Paul said, whether short or long, listen to this, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. So I would that all of you whether it takes a long time or a short, I would that all of you would become as I am, transformed by the living Christ. And that's just the good news. So Paul takes all this that he has received, all this that is bottled up within him, and he says to those in that, on that day, I just wish that all of you would experience this. I just wish you could see. I wish you could know. I wish you could understand. I wish you could experience what I've experienced in Christ Jesus. But again, notice, it's not preaching a sermon. It's not carrying a big Bible. It's not spouting theological platitudes. It is telling the story of the work of Christ in his life, and it's what we are called to do as well. Because when it's real... And when we get it, we can't contain it. It just spills out. That's really the theme throughout the whole book of Acts. Peter and John in Acts chapter, I think it's 20, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 20. They were arrested for preaching and teaching about Christ. They were arrested, they were thrown in jail. And they were warned not to say anything about this Jesus. We're telling you, stop talking about this Jesus. Peter and John say, listen, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to speak or not, you be the judge of that. But as for us, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
We just can't help ourselves. We're just going to speak of what we have experienced ourselves. Now, folks, there's a lot of things in this world that I don't understand. I'm not that smart of a guy. Um, I'll just give you some kind of simple example. Wind. <laughs> I don't understand the atmosphere and atmospheric pressure and the wind channels and how all that works, but I see the effect of wind. I don't understand how a 200,000-ton ship can float in the ocean. I don't understand the law of buoyancy. I don't understand how a huge two-story, two-story plane that carries 500 people can fly in the air at 30,000 feet. I don't understand that. I just know that it gets people from one place to the next. We may not have all the theological answers for people. We may not have all the knowledge. We may not be able to write a treatise of faith. But every one of us who are followers of Christ has a story. And it's a story that no one can debate with you. Why? Because it's yours. Christ has changed you. And you just can't argue with a life that's been changed. So what are the reasons for your story? I bet, just like Paul, you have a past. I bet, just like Paul, you've been redeemed. I bet, just like Paul, when you get your head screwed on straight, like I have to every once in a while, come back to, right? I have a purpose. I know my purpose. Just like Paul, I have a story. And Jesus is the reason for that story. And Jesus is the reason for your story, too. Know him, love him, worship him to the point where you just can't help but tell of the things that you've seen and heard and experienced in him. This is what Month of Missions has been all about, for us to see and notice the world around us. What's going to change our world? You, you, you think a, a politician is going to pass a law? You think an educator is going to teach a class? You think a businessman is going to invent some great business plan of some kind that will change the world? There's nothing that will transform the human heart like Jesus. And we have him as a precious, precious gift. And we should share him with others. Let's bow in prayer. So, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, for what this month has meant to all of us here at the brook. How we've seen your heart for the world. How you've challenged us to look and notice other people to build bridges, authentic relationships with those who are far from God and how you've challenged us, Father, to be difference makers. So I pray, Lord, that we would remember that we would not just have gained some knowledge through this month, but we would be people be 
that would be different, that would go from this place, God, and have a different kind of vision of life, a vision of what could be, the possibilities that are before us, and we would remember how we've been changed by Christ. Where would I be without Jesus? Kid who grew up, grew up essentially without a family, you've given me a family. Who had shame and fear and guilt. I've been given forgiveness and grace. A guy who lacked purpose and meaning, finding a reason for living. The certainty, the assurance that my eternal home is heaven. So many blessings, God. Help me, help us to make a difference in the lives of others and to share this great hope and to do so with joy and integrity and honesty to be your light that shines in this upside down and dark world. We embrace this calling and we trust you, Father, for the strength, for the resources internal and external to see it come to pass. Thank you for our dear church family and what you're doing in us and through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.